You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. Welcome again to the same Mission Log time and the same Mission Log place where we discuss all the Mission Log things. It's Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, and obviously I can't keep time straight at all. <laughs> uh, I'm Holly Amos. Hi, Holly Amos. Tonight, we're going to be discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1, Kobayashi Maru, which is, I hope everybody understands the title reference. Very nice. I hope so. Yay. Get your questions and comments ready and give us a call. You know how. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap on your smartphone or call us at 699-900-6833 and enter the meeting code and the password and you will see this you will see a screen and you'll be in the Earl Green room. Isn't that so cool? clever. So I clever. Know, right. <laughs> and then um, Earl will get you on with us. Apologies, everyone, if I, uh, you know, had a little bit of a soft opening here. I haven't been on Mission Log Live for a while, and it shows. So I'm just kind of like flaking the rust off, you know, the old warp nade cells. So it's time to say hi to everyone here. So let's go scroll all the way up. Uh, um, Holly, you looking for your pops? See if, uh, I he's here. I saw him like something, so I'm I'm sure that my parents are here. Hi, mom and dad. Let's see. Hi, Scott Palm. We have Sam, John Arminio. Good to see you. Uh, we have Paul. That's Paul Check on one. Uh, let's see. Scrolling down. Carlos. Hello. Paul Harveth. Check on two. Are we going to get lucky and win the big bingo on three? Uh, let's see. Scott. Allen. Hello, Allen. Good to see you. Uh, Brian. John Cooley. That's already an automatic win. That's like, you know, circle gets the square on a bingo card. <laughs> and come on, Pauls. Are you serious? I only have two? There's Not only two today. It makes me sad. Uh, hi, Sam, and hi, Michael. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's uh, going to be a very exciting night because we are going to be talking about Season 4, Episode 1, Star Trek Discovery, Kobayashi Maru. And I don't know if anyone out there realizes this. Holly, I think you might because we've been talking about this particular topic before we started the show. It is, in the United States, Thanksgiving week. It is Thanksgiving week. It's- and... Thanksgiving weekend is crazy. <laughs> yeah, right? it's crazy. It's like going on vacation. I feel like I'm just trying to get everything done to be gone for like two days, which by the way, like I, I have off. Like it's not like I'm like, like they're just naturally built into you get this time off and I'm still like, oh, I have to have everything done. So well, like everyone's probably like either tomorrow or definitely Wednesday going to be rushing around doing a bunch of stuff. So here's what's going on in like the mission log universe. So on Thursday, we won't have a standard mission log dropping. So we have a bunch of other little mission logs dropping. So we have uh, tomorrow on the 23rd, the final episode for Mission Log Prodigy, because we're going to be going on break until January the show is going on break. Because the show is going on break. Yeah. Long break. Yeah. That's a super, super long break. So we're doing Terra Firma tomorrow. Ashley and I, Ashley V. Robinson and I are covering that. That happens tomorrow. Uh, two Mission Log, the Orville podcast will also be released this week. So make sure that you go to Roddenberry Entertainment, subscribe to the Mission Log Orville, the Orville channel, and make sure you hit the subscribe button and they will notify you when those get released. And then also, if you haven't been paying attention, we are in our third or fourth week of Mission Log Engage, where we read emails. Email. Hate mail. Um, that's how John put it last week. And I was like, oh, it's either it's either great mail or challenging mail. I wouldn't call it hate mail. Challenging mail. Oh, but great yeah. and hate would rhyme. OK, so we have great mail and hate mail. Hate mail. <laughs> wait, great. Ma- great mail for me. Maybe hate mail for John. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's fun. We get to read. We get to engage with our listeners on the air, which is so much fun to do. So that's what's coming up with Mission Log. Um, I want to spend a little time here catching up with you, Holly. How have you been? What, uh, what's been going on? I mean, aside from you, you know, being with John for four weeks in a row, I think. Yeah. I mean, we had some really good guests, um, to kind of fill the void while we waited for discovery to come back on the air. So that was nice. Mm-hmm. Um, had a couple sciencey people, which I always enjoy last week. I didn't talk very much cause I was just like, science. Oh. <laughs> Were you enamored with all the sciencey stuff? 
Yeah. And I mean, Brandon, who was on the show last week is, is actually a close friend of mine. So, okay. uh, I, he's very smart and very articulate. And I was just like, yay friend. <laughs> he was cool. like, you should have talked more. I was like, I was just listening. <laughs> now, if you actually, if you, when you, when you and Brandon like hang out together, is it the same way? You know, are you just, so you start all of my friends talking? that work at J all of my friends that work at JPL when they, when they like go on like a passionate rant about whatever like their field is like Bobak Perdosi, the NASA Mohawk guy is one of my best friends and he's an engineer. Brandon works in the education department and has a PhD in chemistry. He's getting a a master's in geology right now. He already has a master's in education. Like these people are like in terms of being smart, like they're way above me. And so when they go on a spiel about like, sometimes if I go on a Star Trek spiel, they'll all sit there and because that's my spiel. But when they go on a science or an engineering spiel, I'm like, I'm very interested. I love in the room. (laughs) You got to love that, right? My friends are so smart. So what do you say we jump into, I think, what people are probably getting ready to discuss in the Earl Green Room? What do you think? Yeah. Let's, Let's do jump right into it. So we're going to do the recap here for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 1, Kobayashi Maru. Establishing diplomatic relationships with the Alshane 4 isn't as easy as Captain Burnham and Book had originally hoped. After an unfortunate series of misunderstandings which caused the Alshin Emperor and his retinue to open fire, Burnham and Book stall for time as Tilly, Stamets, and Adira figure out that by restoring power to the planet's navigational satellites would help in these diplomatic talks, as would leaving behind a sizable gift of dilithium crystals as a gesture of friendship for Alshin Four to consider joining the, the ever-growing United Federation of Planets. Meanwhile, on Kaminar, Sukal and Saru address the Kelpian Council with an appeal for them to consider sharing their gifts with a larger universe and to begin thinking outwardly instead of turning inwardly. Back on Discovery, Book leaves to attend his nephew Leto's coming-of-age ceremony on Quajon as Burnham musters the courage for her next assignment, introducing the new Federation president. After acknowledging the growth of the Federation with reverent observation of the newly constructed Archer space dock, celebrating the very first class of Starfleet Academy cadets, and lastly, introducing Federation President Rillick, Captain Burnham and her crew bask in a brief respite of celebration. Very brief, in fact, as Admiral Vance has urgent need for her and Discovery once again. A distress call from Commander Nallis aboard Station Deep Space Repair Beta 6 reports that he and his crew are in grave danger. Captain Burnham and Discovery, because of its spore drive's capacity for immediate response timing, are ordered to aid Nallis and his crew and save the station if possible. However, there is a catch. President Rillick insists on joining the rescue mission amidst several duly noted objections by Captain Burnham, who is primarily concerned for the president's safety. Back on Quajon, both Book and Kayim watch over Lido with pride and reverence as they complete his coming-of-age ceremony. However, their celebration is interrupted by a strange and sudden flock of birds, which concerns Book enough to take to his ship and investigate. As Discovery approaches the station, Captain Burnham receives bridge-wide status reports, and they are grim. Sensors indicate that strange gravimetric distortions have caused the stations to spiral out of control. Tilly and Adira, the two most competent officers suited for this away team mission, are beamed over to aid Commander Nallis and his crew. Suddenly, waves of debris pound Discovery and the station, forcing Burnham to stretch Discovery's shields to the limit to protect all of them. Time is running out, and Burnham orders all hands on the station to evacuate, but transporters are down and the station's life pods are blocked by external debris. With her options rapidly disappearing, Burnham decides to leave her post and take a worker bee to free the shuttles, as President Rillick vehemently objects. After surviving a massive impact from wayward debris, Burnham eventually frees the one remaining shuttle pod access door, allowing Tilly and Adira to ferry the station's crew to safety before the station is destroyed. And just as soon as Discovery jumps to safety, the shuttle pod carrying Tilly, Adira, and Nallis suffers a catastrophic hit, killing Nallis in the process. Back on Quajon, Book encounters unnerving flocks of dead birds plummeting from the sky. He warns Lido and Kayim to find safety as he pushes further into space, only to watch helplessly as a strange distortion obliterates Quajon's moon. Later in the captain's ready room, President Rillick confesses to Burnham that she joined this mission not for a political stunt, as Burnham presumed. Rather, 
Relic wanted to see how Burnham reacted to a Kobayashi Maru level situation in real time. Yes, the Kobayashi Maru, known throughout the history of Starfleet cadets as the unwinnable scenario designed to measure leadership potential and personal character. And after Relic's assessment, she believes that Burnham, regardless of how brave or worthy her actions have been in getting Discovery and her crew to this point, is not ready for a command on one of Starfleet's newest vessels. However, President Relic's final judgment will have to wait, as Book's ship suddenly arrives on Discovery under autopilot. After making his way to the bridge, Book tells everyone what happened near Quajon, but when Owo scans for his planet, to everyone's horror, especially Book's, the sensors show that Quajon has been destroyed. The end. Wow. <laughs> Heavy. I mean, Quajon, we didn't get to see for that long. And it's and a really pretty planet, so I'm, I'm bummed. It was. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was so hard to take in because everything was happening at such a, a rapid pace. Um, I know that we yeah. probably have a few callers lining up, but I'd like to get to at least your first reactions, Holly, about, about this episode. So how did I you feel mixed, about it? I have mixed feelings on this episode. I feel like the morals and the messages are completely running in line, in line with with what we are used to in Star Trek, um, mm-hmm. the challenges of the needs of the many and the needs of the few and, you know, sacrificing when you probably shouldn't be because you're putting a bunch of other people at risk. Like, great. Um, I feel like a lot of the storytelling was very reminiscent. There are sections of each part of the story that is reminiscent of something else that's already happened in Star Trek. And I'm always just like, can we be a little bit more original? Quajon exploding. I was like, that's like Vulcan. Yeah. Like even books reaction is very similar to Spock prime watching it get destroyed in the 2009 film um it's sad but we've we've already done this um so i i definitely have i i have mixed feelings about the the morals and meanings and messages great the way that those were told i'm like we've this is i'm bummed that it wasn't a little bit more original i I hear what you're saying and i and i agree um and and i just want to kind of ask you a question about about that because Star Trek Discovery is, I would say, fairly geared towards the older Star Trek audience who has probably seen a lot of these references before. Do you think that that it is uh, maybe resonates with them the same way it's resonating with you? Like, yeah, we've been there. Because there was a scene with, with President Relic and Burnham at the end where I felt like if you just interchange them with Kirk and Savick, yeah. you know, Kirk was saying... You know, um, this is a test of character. It's not about who wins or loses. And then Savick's like, you know, what goes a test if uh, there's no way to win? There's that whole dynamic that's going on in The Wrath of Khan. I know, folks, I haven't quoted it specifically correctly, but you know what I mean. And I think that that almost that that same conversation is just continuing with the two of them. What thirty something years later? Yeah. Like after the fact, that's how and I listen, felt. I, I'm way? not. I'm not opposed to that message being reiterated because I think that at the core of Starfleet, like that's one of the things that, that they sort of, you know, drill. I mean, even they drill into their cadets, they drill into even all the way up to, you know, the command test. Cause if you think about the episode of TNG, um, thine own self, the B story in thy own self is when Troy is taking that command test and she can't figure out how to pass it. She keeps failing. And she's asking Riker basically to like tell her what the answer is. And he's like, I can't. The answer ends up being she has to command Jordy to his death to save the rest of the crew. So like this is not a new concept. It just right. I'm and I'm not opposed to repeating that and reiterating it. I just wish that I felt like it was like in a newer way. I did feel that Burnham's pushback was pretty fresh, though, from the perspective of this conversation, because it was a little bit of, I'm not sure if this is the right term, but a little bit of a straw man argument, because the president saying, you're not ready based on my observations. She's like, I brought discovery like 900 years through time. Right. No one else has done that. No one else has done what I've done. And the president's like, you're right. But this is completely different. This is a completely different situation because we don't even know how you will be tested with these new ships. 
Right. And the president calls her out on, you know, putting people and situations like as more important and wanting to save everybody. And like, you can't always save everybody. It's a mathematical, you know, improbability that you're going to save everybody. And, and Burnham basically was like, I don't see that as like a bad thing, me wanting to save everybody. But so, you know, I see her, her argument is like, she wants to save everybody, but she's in the captain's chair now. And you're going to have to make a sacrifice every now and again, when you get in a tough spot. So I'm going to ask you this question. I, uh, I asked John this, um, John Champion, uh, because I just wanted to springboard this off him and see how he felt. And I want to ask this to you, uh, you know, to our caller, Mike, who's uh, waiting uh, to join us, and then everyone else out there in the crowd. So in, in The Wrath of Khan, these two elements, the Kobayashi Maru and the Vulcan philosophy of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, they weren't necessarily directly connected until Spock said one line in, in, con- in, a, in concert with the other line when he was dying in the, in the warp core chamber uh, mm-hmm. after he said ship out of danger. They are still separate up until 2009 when they introduced Spock as the officer who created the Kobayashi Maru scenario. Does right. that mean in some way, in some, yeah, in some algebraic leap that he also infused this Vulcan philosophy of forcing someone to choose the needs of the many? over the needs of the few or the one, because that's the choice a captain has to make. Like he said to Pines, you know, Kirk, he said, Kirk, yeah. you of all people should know a captain cannot cheat death. Ooh, I'm like, fighting these, words. Yeah, but these are, at one point in time, they were two separate ideals. And right. now since 2009, they almost seem like they're part of the same coin. They're, they're opposite sides of the same coin. So I don't want you don't necessarily to answer right now. I want to get to Mike as a caller. Maybe Mike wants to be able to chime in on this. So uh, Earl, why don't you go ahead and bring Mike in and uh, let's see if he has anything intelligent to say to us because I know he will. I love oh, you, that's, uh, that's <laughs> definitely a, a big leap. Actually, at this point, I think I'm just calling in just to say hi because Holly made all of my points for me. So oh, did I? Uh, yeah, thank sorry you. Thank you very much. No, no, don't, don't be sorry. It, uh, it it validated what I was thinking. So um you know, definitely a lot of things we saw already, you know, boy, just from, just from the, uh, the, uh, Star Trek into darkness, uh, opening of the, of the show. Yeah. That too. Cliff. I was like, Oh, yeah. we're jumping off clips again. Yep. Also, Little I was t- like, why is book there? She, find, yeah. she said why, but my immediate reaction was like, why is book there? He's not in Starfleet. Why is right. he there on a diplomatic mission? She says why it's yeah. because yeah. of his empathy thing. But I did, um, I didn't but really yeah. like, very into darkness, right? Yeah, very into darkness in the beginning, and uh, I did actually was very entertained by the awkwardness of the the how well intentioned their their greeting was and their their interaction was, and everything got misread and turned around on them. And I've been in conversations like that, believe it or not, where you're trying to you know say everything right and everything gets taken the wrong way. But uh, I like the tongue in cheek. Why is there always a cliff? That uh, that was funny because as they're running for the cliff, I'm like, why is there always a cliff? And then they uh, they feel the same way. So I thought that was great. Um, the conversation that you said between Kirk and Savick, Norman, um, to me, it was more reminiscent, almost a copy and paste between um, the conversation between Chris Pines, Kirk and Captain Pike, um, mm-hmm. where he said, you could have gotten everybody killed. And Kirk said, except I didn't. And then right. Pike just said, that just means you're lucky. It doesn't mean you're good. Um, and Which that is was also re- something that is said to her to burn. Yes, exactly. Book says it was luck. And she was like. Well, I was prepared, basically. Right. He said, you're bragging about almost getting us killed, I think was his his line. Mm -hmm. Um, So then at the end, when it said, hey, um, when the president said, hey, you're not ready, and she said to find ready, and they got into that conversation, which was, I thought, a great conversation. But here's the thing. I mean, when, when, to me, the big moral meaning message of this episode was when you lead from a place of personal need, you put everybody else in danger. When you lead from a place of personal agenda of your needs versus the people who are in your charge, you're not making decisions for the right reason. And you could get everybody killed. And Burnham's counter to that was, except I didn't. And again, it's luck at this point. It's not making your decisions based on the right decision-making factors. To, to that point, too, and this is also something that bothered me that we haven't brought up yet. Adira goes over to the the station with Tilly to try to help them get back on track, and then stuff goes awry, and they have to they have to leave the station. Um, 
when they're talking to Stamets about what's going on, his first reaction is, is Adira okay? And then he's like, oh, and everybody else. Right. And then at the end of it, when they finally make it into the the bay and Colbert comes into the frame, he's looking for Adira. Like, where's Adira? And I get it. Like, they feel a level of parenthood exactly. towards Adira. And I get it. But also, like, the captain of that station was dying underneath this. Like, he was dead by the time we got to him. Was he still alive? And you were messing with Adira? Adira's fine. Like, why... Why is everybody so concerned about Adira when all this other stuff is going on? Again, I get it. They have a parental sort of relationship, but that's completely inappropriate given the fact that you were trained to be responding to everything, not just one person. Right. And I think, uh, I'm sorry. One second, Mike. I I wanted to jump in here with some really good comments from coming in from the, you know, from John Cooley. John Cooley has this great uh, point being made about is the UFB president's criticism of Captain Burnham a contemporary rebuke of Captain Kirk? I don't know how I feel about that. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I kind of feel like the Captain Kirk that has gotten um, become a caricature of the original series, Captain Kirk, probably started around Star Trek II, if not a little bit later in the series. You know, he was a by-the-book kind of guy in the original series who always put his crew and his ship first. And I think that's why I looked up to him so much. And then later on, uh, as we got deeper and deeper into the movies, it became kind of this hot-headed, didn't follow the rules kind of character, which... I'm going to steal a ship to go get Spock. Yeah. You're going to steal a ship to go get one person. Listen, love Spock. Glad we got him back. Cool. But they were, Probably they were... not what you were trained to do. What is what, what, Would that be uh, an arguable point saying that they were past the prime of their careers? you know, when they were doing it, like, for the right reasons, even though they were trained to do it differently? Well, I think the further you are in your career, the the less you have to lose in some ways. If you're that much closer to retirement, if you're that much closer to being able to say, look, this will be my last big act, and I'm going to go save my friend, and then mm-hmm. we'll be done. So it does make a little bit of sense. But, you know, Kirk is this, you know, rule-breaking, uh, hothead, shoot-from-the-hip, cowboy, cowboy diplomacy kind of guy. Well, for Abrams, that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and I'm yes, uh, Abrams as well as from about Star Trek two and a half, maybe Star <laughs> Trek three on. Yeah. Um, but I, I know you got some other people after me, so um, just a, a couple of things. I think my favorite uh, part of the episode was Detmer hugging the donkey. So that was uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was. <laughs> so I thought that was uh, was definitely a lot of fun, and I forget my other my other points. So uh, thanks so much for having me on. And uh, I'll look forward to enjoying the rest of the show. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You be safe out there. Thanks so much. Okay. Talk to you soon. Uh, We haven't talked about the Archer thing either, which was about the most exciting part of the episode for me. Let's do it. If you know, if you feel, if you feel solid enough to start talking. Listen, I love a good deep cut. Also from the standpoint of like (laughs) questioning all of these things, like, you know, Kirk going to save Spock. If he hadn't done that, we wouldn't have had a movie. It's entertainment. Like it, yeah. we would have wrapped that up, that movie up real quick if he had been like, "Well, I just have to follow the rules, and we can't go." Um, so I get that. But anyways, um, I love a good deep cut, and I'm glad Enterprise is starting to get some of those. Right. Um, we discussed briefly before we came on the air that I really feel like a lot of the shows have to um, get to a certain age almost before they start really being appreciated. I remember as a mm-hmm. kid watching Deep Space Nine. I remember a lot of people not liking it. I remember not liking it very much as an adult. Love it. And people are now saying like, it's, you know, it's one of the most underrated series in the entire franchise. I feel like Enterprise is coming of age right now. Mm-hmm. Where before people were like, Enterprise is, is, it was the worst. It was the worst series, but it's starting to get references and being appreciated. And when the Archer theme came on, I was just waterworks. It it took me back. It took my breath away for a second where they're saying, you know, this is the Archer, you know, uh, uh, engineering or whatever they called it. I was like, what? Archer? Archer? And then it like, da, 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 da. Yeah. Which, by the way, should have been the theme song and was supposed to be the theme song. But then, you know, 
stuff went down. I, I know. Um, sh- but she says in her speech, she makes a reference like one of the original goals was scientific exploration. And I was like, yeah, the NX-01, that was there. And then Archer and then the theme. And I was like, yeah, that was a good reference. It was a great reference. I think it's fair to say that uh, some of the writers, you know, that are working on these shows now were probably of age when they were, you know, maybe discovering Star Trek for the first time with Enterprise. And that was their Star Trek. So now they're incorporating their love of why they got into Star Trek, maybe into their writing here and there. And it just makes sense since that's I mean, about 20 years ago. Yeah, that, that makes sense. But I also think that it was a natural fit too, right? Because they're basically rebuilding, rebuilding. United Federation of Planets right? and Starfleet Academy is becoming a thing again. And why not talk about Archer, who was like, the person that the captain the first yes, captain the yeah. first captain he helped establish all of this like that's a huge part of the storyline of enterprise the entirety of the show is them founding the united federation of planets yeah so it's, it's a nice bookend and right? he was president from, from there to <laughs> getting from there to here Sorry. oh my god do that <laughs> Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Mike is still on, on camera and he's clapping. <laughs> I will be here all night. Um, before we get to our next caller, I just wanted to take a break here to talk about um, where else you can have this much fun because this much fun is clearly illegal or it would cost you so much gold press latinum under the table to do so. And that's Patreon. So patreon.com slash mission log is where you can find how to subscribe to our Discord channel, which is where for as the low, low, low price of $1, a month you can join our discord you can join a huge and wonderful community of star trek fans of fans of so many different types of fandoms because the fandoms are just being shared with and explored on a daily basis that's where i think all of this conversation continues organically after you listen to the podcast after you watch the youtube videos after you're done with mission log live check it out if you want to find somewhere that uh, you feel you want to express more of your fandom love, knowledge, and enthusiasm for Star Trek and more, please, please, please join us at patreon.com slash mission log. And that is, um, that is spiel? It in a nutshell. That is my spiel uh, in a nutshell. So we're going to get to our next caller here. And uh, he is... None short of wit, our meme master extraordinaire, the guy that everyone wants probably uh, hit when they see his memes every single week on when Mission Log drops because they're jealous of his talent, not because they're angry at what he says. What's up, Alan? I'm bringing you in. I feel like, I don't know. So, so, okay, wait, (laughs) hold on a second. It's like the reason why I'm doing like these grand introductions because I was watching first night last night. I'm sorry, A Knight's Tale. And I feel like Chaucer, you know, like he, he just riles up the crowd. He gets everybody into a froth and then just announces his knight extraordinaire. That's boom, you. Don't boom, disappoint me. Boom, boom. <laughs> See? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Bring I chant. believe me. I, you know, I thank, thank you, Norman. It's, I, I hope to live up to that great introduction. Um, I no just, pressure. it's, just, <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, you know, I can run hot and cold sometimes. So, you know, we'll see how this goes. Um, uh, yeah, you're, for for example, uh, poss- possibly the first of many hot takes. Um, mm. I, I agree with you guys about uh, the Archer Space Dock and how great it was to hear that song or hear the hear the the theme music. But wouldn't it have been a baller choice to just drop a little bit of Faith of the Heart in there? No. You know. No, it would not have been. <laughs> I don't hate that song either. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I no, I like Archer's theme better is the thing. I don't, I, I don't yeah. dislike that song. I just think Archer's theme would have been better. And it was supposed to be the theme. And then they made it the end theme. And Alan, like, oh, you sure. have to think of the needs of the many in this situation. Oh, of course. Yeah. No, um, I just unabashedly, I do, I do enjoy that song. And uh, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan. I've karaoke that song. So I'm oh. a, I'm a supporter. So uh, Roger McCoy in the chat is talking about how there's a lot of Archer references He's not wrong. It was referenced yeah. in Nemesis, Star Trek 2009, of course, the, the mm-hmm. prized beagle, uh, yep. Discovery season one, Lower Deck season one, NX-01 is seen in, in Into Darkness and Prodigy. With the exception of Nemesis, everything else is pretty now-ish. 
Yeah. Which is what I mean by like past, oh, yeah. past you know, past the enterprises shelf date for sure. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, so, I think there that's are a true. lot of references and I hope there's more. Keep going. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. I, I do think that's true of just about everything, you know, especially pop culture wise, is that, you know, uh, you know, another thing that's on right now contemporaneously to, to discovery is the new Doctor Who. And everybody hates the new Doctor Who until about five years from now when they hate that Doctor Who. And so, and, and the and stuff that we're watching now. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Everything gets better with, you know, the passage of time. And, you know, nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, there's a, yeah. you know, there's that age old saying, and I don't want to, you know, insult anyone in the audience out there. I'm just saying it because it's the saying is that, you know, customers don't know what they want, but they know, you know, until they don't, uh, until they're, they don't know what they want, but they know what they don't like. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you're stuck in this, uh, you know, repeating pattern of, well, you know what, we might as well make the show that we know we can make, that we trust that we can make, that we trust in our teams that can, that can be made. And sooner or later, you know, you're going to have, you're going to have a certain segment of the audience. So you're always going to have to win over regardless, you know, especially in today's day and age yeah. where one person's opinion can turn into wildfire and becomes everyone's opinion. I will say this on the air. I said it on mission log before I'll say it again. I think rotten tomatoes is the absolute worst thing that's ever happened to fandom in the history of fandom, because mm. it makes people have opinions before they actually watch anything. Yeah. And I think that's so dangerous. The, yeah, the, the sort of, uh, the, the economy of opinions and the sort of valuation of opinion is a very dangerous thing. Um, I, I remember reading a book, uh, many years ago called, uh, oh, sh- shoot, what is it called? Uh, but it was a Cory doc, I think it was a Cory Doctorow book about living in, uh, sort of like a, a post, post future version of Walt Disney world. And the, the, the most terrifying thing about that book was him positing a reputation economy where how much you had and how much you were worth was based on what other people thought of you rather than, you know, your actual skills and abilities. And I think, you know, uh, you know, Captain Mike, if you're still here, you might be running into this in a in a couple uh, couple soon. weeks. Yeah, on, on pretty a, soon on a for the Orville podcast. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but yeah, that was that was a terrifying concept then, and it, it continues to be. Um, oh, if I remember the name of the book, I'll pop it in the in the chat when I get off. But yeah, I overall, I I think Holly, I I kind of agree with you. I I I had to sort of you know, sit with this episode a little bit to see how I ultimately felt about it. I, I think I kind of had the same questions, especially about the ending that you did. And I do think that it sort of comes down to, for me, that it wasn't really a questioning of her, of Burnham's um, decisions. It was a question of her motives and, you know, what was behind her, you know, her reasoning to, you know, stick it out. And, you know, was that worth it? We can say that, yeah, it was probably worth it this time because it worked, but you know, you You don't don't know know. that it, like, you don't know that it's going to work until after. And it's the same thing going back to Kelvin Kirk, you could have got Mm -hmm. everybody killed. And he's like, but I didn't, but you could have, and we don't know what the outcome is until well, unless we time travel, which is it's a, it's a very circular argument because it is know, a circular you, you argument. Can't, you sense. can't get to that point until somebody something actually happens, and then when that happens, you could have gotten lucky again, or Burnham could have gotten lucky again, and say, "See, I told you, I'm ready." And it's like, "No, you got lucky again." Based on mm-hmm. what, though? Based on your parameters of success. To the so, to the uh, yeah. to the point of luck, though. Um, I have a friend who had a definition for luck. And she said it to me once, and this was like over a decade ago, and it stuck with me, is luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, she's definitely prepared. The opportunity was not the, the greatest set of circumstances. And yeah, more people could have died still. I think it's mm-hmm. like the the situation and maybe they're setting us up for this because you don't start with something 
you know, as recognized in the Star Trek fandom as these two words, the Kobe, well, three words, if you want, the Kobayashi <laughs> Maru, right? I mean, even non-Star Trek fans up to a point know that. It's like, isn't that the thing where they couldn't save the ship in that one movie? Like, yeah, that's it. So there's going to be a point where someone, I think, significant is going to be affected by this, by Burnham's decision. And I, I'm absolutely my... going to stick it out. It was not my favorite season premiere by a long shot. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I can see an inter- potentially interesting setup, though. So, like, yeah. obviously, I'm going to stick with it. Even, yeah. you know, sort of well, I'm going to plant the these, two, these two threads out there and see what people think about it. So you have Burnham obviously having to, to at least listen to if not just keep in the back of her head what the president's saying because obviously she may want to see if she's on track of leading one of these new ships and then you have saru coming back because he has this yearning to return to offer what he can offer to the federation what happens when this possibility of burnham not being trained enough or not Choosing the right path affects possibly Saru, who has returned Ooh. to maybe help her find that right path. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Saru is—he's a little bit of a little bit of a Jiminy Cricket figure for her, I, I suppose. He's kind of been he's also been a lot with of a Spock, He's also a lot of a Spock like yeah. character right yeah. now. Yeah. Kind of like when I saw him on on um, Kaminar as being like Spock on Vulcan before he chose not to finalize the Colinar. And now Saru's like, no, there's something else out there. Well, actually, um, Sukar said this, but he said, there's something else out there yet for you to finish. So Saru is going to return a la Spock. We'll see what happens. I mean, and he's a complete wild card. Like there wasn't enough of a setup for, I don't think anybody to know like where, which way it's going to go in terms of the storyline as it relates to Saru. I'm glad they brought him back, obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. Seeing Doug. Always (laughs) love seeing Doug. Um, Okay. Alan. So um, one last thought before we let you go, so we can get on to. uh, Oh, just makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. No, just, uh, I, you know, again, I love, I, you know, this is a great, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a interesting start to what will hopefully be a good season. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I guess we all get to get to jump off that cliff together. And uh, Another cliff? speaking as yeah, I was saying in the in the <laughs> green room earlier, yeah, I was, uh, I was in, speaking in the green room earlier that uh, you know, as someone who lives in Iowa, I've been looking for that uh, 2009 Star Trek cliff for a long time, and I just I just haven't found it. You know, it's it's got to be out there somewhere, right? Well, that means that you have, so what you're saying is if you haven't found the cliff, you have the Beastie Boys and you have the car. You're just waiting for the cliff. Is that what we're saying? Exactly. I guess Please I got to get a shovel. I guess I got to get a, get a shovel and start digging. <laughs> Please don't destroy a car though. That was a nice car. Oh yeah. the, I, the first time I saw that movie, I was like, oh no, the car. No. Got to love, got to love a convertible. All right. Thanks a lot, Alan, man. Appreciate your call. And uh, we'll Absolutely. be you soon. Have a good night, guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Paul hello, Paul Harvest. Paul hey. and Tendi are here. Hi, Tendi. Yeah. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Holly and Norman. So great mm-hmm. to speak with you again. It's it's. Um, I share Holly's view last week with the scientist. Just amazing listening and chatting with that gentleman. It was an amazing show last week. You were and- a great caller too. I was like, I was hoping that some teachers would call in because that's ultimately like what his main job is right now. But you, thank you for calling in because it was you guys. That that was when I was like, <laughs> yeah, I could have such a good conversation. I could have talked to him for a while, you know. Professionally, we shared a lot, but um, back let's let's get on to this disco here. Um, first of all, you know, I I just got to these. She's been a captain for what four months now? Is that what we figured out? Because Saru has been on the other planet for four months. Yeah, um, five months. Yeah, yeah. He was a captain for maybe eight months total because he was gap before. Why would either of these people pretend to think they're qualified enough to move on to whatever the president has in store? I mean, think about that tenure alone. They're they're learning curve. I don't. They're smart. They're qualified in certain things. I mean, she's obviously the best time traveler, 
right? She dragged a whole bunch of people with her, but really, I, I don't know. It's, but that, that's, I think what the president was trying to say is like you, there's no one, no one's denying what you did. No one's denying that you were able to make the hard choices to get your people and the ship intact for the most part and mostly alive up until this point. That is on record. We can't change the past. You've proven that. However, luck does not make a leader. My point exactly. I, I think it's presumptive arrogance on her part to think she's qualified. I think she's too young, too brash, too um, inexperienced. Highly experienced in, in the captain's chair. chair. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. She's had a wealth of experiences which will form her into whatever captain she's going to be or not. You know, maybe she'll find out it's not her role. I mean, making those decisions is not fun. Some people. Yeah, not everybody is cut out for command. Yeah. Which is why people, we have a whole show about lower decks. Right. <laughs> which is why, <laughs> which is why I have Tendy behind me because it's, it's absolutely been my, you know, that and Picard, but this, I, I, I want to revel in just how, what a brilliant production this is. Obviously they've had some money spent on costumes this year. Did you get the throwback to the color coordinated sort of to TOS look yeah. mm-hmm. and the shorter dress oh, yeah. on her yeah. with the, different hemline on each side yep. just the brilliant architecture of of gersha and what she brings to the table and amazing just absolutely amazing palette and you know from the pure almost everybody's same gray to this you know multicolor, and then you throw in 4k whatever they're filming in the detail yeah. associated with this it's almost like you're walking on that bridge when you're watching this show I, I just can't get over how beautiful it is. Yeah, you can't I mean, have any visual errors on this show. I mean, they'll, they'll be yeah. seen. I mean, in 1966, they had like, you know, cardboard and tinsel and they had stuntmen that didn't life. have the same like hair texture as their main cast. You know, and there, they there could were get away where, with it. Yeah, there were scenes I, where like it, Kirk was like throwing someone over his shoulder, and then they cut to like the wide scene with a guy that had like curly hair back to Kirk that had straight hair, and the close-ups. But it's it's not just that though. It's not just like the level of detail that things are shot in now and the clarity. It's that like they have to be the people making the show. also have to be wholly aware that there are people like us that are like, oh yeah, <laughs> screenshot, screenshot, them. zoom, screenshot, screenshot, yeah that kind of stuff um they're doing a great job visually it's stunning i mean they it should be they their budget for each episode is like a hollywood film so use that money appropriately um good word carlos perez in the chat sumptuous sumptuous that yeah that is a good way to put it good adjective (laughs) Uh, you know it's an interesting thing paul this this kind of like this uh this general i think uh audience consensus of Burnham maybe being a little too cocky for the chair, but everyone was kind of like on board with that with Kirk in 2009 being too cocky for the chair because he was a distillation of basically 35 years of James. A well-known character that was distilled into this. Yes. um, I don't know. What's the right word? Almost kind of like this um, Kirk light version of of who he should be. And yeah, he was the version of an established character and everybody already thought that they knew him. And if he's brash, be like, well, that's just Kirk. That's That's the Kirk Kirk. that we know and love. Right. But But, you know, Burnham is a new character. But I think that the expectation is get the cocky character because they can handle the command. That's the, that's kind of like the, the tradition of certain Star Trek characters. Uh, I don't agree with it. I'm just saying that I can see why people would be on board with like, no, give Burnham the command. She's earned it. She's deserved. She deserves it. She's done everything. She brought the Federation together. Is, is that a point that can be disputed? But did she, or was it circumstantial? Some people would say there's no difference. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just opening up the kind of like the, the exploration of these points, like everything that she did in season three to, you know, save, you know, Sukal and then stop the dilithium from exploding and all that stuff. That was on her watch, luck or not. So she's like, hey, look, I, I get that you, you're not vibing on me, you know, President uh, Relic, but look at my track record, right? I mean, I've done stuff that none of you have ever done. Does that deserve leadership? Does that deserve promotion? I don't know. 
I'm just, I just, I mean, I, like I think it's exploring it, the opportunity of it. I think it deserves um, respect and acknowledgement. Did it deserve the captain's chair, though? Maybe that's the question they want us to ask this whole season. Yeah. Oh, here's another thing, though. And, and Paul, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love for you to weigh in, and obviously the audience. What captains do they have left yeah. that have done what she's done? I Well, what captains do they have left, period? Remember yeah. how many ships were destroyed? <laughs> how many right. were killed? They'll have to draw Cronenberg back in, put him on, put him on. <laughs> he would be a great <laughs> captain. You, whatever, do this, you know, but um, it's, it's, you know, when you watched every first take of everybody, you know, the pilot and, and Tilly and Adira, and it's almost like they all wanted, they were all happy to be on TV again. You know, after the, mm. that's what it seemed like. It's like, hey, look, here I am on this new fancy, the ship looks fancier now. Um, it, it was really an interesting first episode. The, I mean, the first 10 minutes was with the flying, the butterfly people and stuff. It was just a little, I, I don't want to say corny, but uh, it was a lot like the movie. The the one, what was that? 2000, the second one, right? Into, the into, one. It's Into Darkness. That's yeah, it, that whole yeah. start reminded me of that. But it was just like, okay, well, I'm going to be peacemaker here by giving you something. And I'm a very pragmatic guy. He reminded me sort of Lars. We go back to Lars from Deep Space Nine. You know, we talked about him, the, the her antagonist there. Um, yeah. The guy she was negotiating with was, was mm-hmm. very interesting, but... Um, you know, it just sort of slow rolled. And I don't know, I, I, the ending I thought was a little intense. I mean, did you need to have, did you have to destroy yet another planet? I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot going I mean, on. obviously that's going to be a, a huge part of the series. They're going to be trying to figure, or this season, they're going to be trying to figure out what this crazy anomaly is that destroyed the planet and, you know, knocked this station off course, um, you know, and then bigger questions like, does she deserve to be in the captaincy? Can we also talk about how many Lucians there are? Oh yeah, right. Which what? is Morn's race. Morn. There's oh, so okay. many Morns. Like, <laughs> where are they coming from? What is going on on their planet? I would so, love to know. Something They're I want to, Holly. I want to ask you this directly, as as you know, as a person who's farther along in this business than than um, you know. I, I go back to the original series. Oh, Lorian. Sorry, not Lucian, Lorian. God, keep going. <laughs> Close enough. Do you find this episode disjointed and too fast? I mean, is there too much in an episode or is this what somebody of your age is used to? You know, it, it's... Oh, that's a good question. I, I just, sometimes it's just overwhelming. As fast as Lower Dex is, at least I've caught on to it. But this one just moves along and so fast and so much coming at me. It's like, you don't have a chance to chew on anything. It just jumps and jumps. Right. Well, first of all, I think that um, it being the first episode, not, it's not to be expected, but it's understood because they're trying to set up the entire season. Right. So there's a lot going on. And I felt like this episode happened almost like in real time which I was a huge fan of the show 24, which was, mm. you know, groundbreaking and in, in doing everything in real time and Jack never basically getting a bathroom break. Um, when did he pee? Um, so I, I like the fast paced stuff. I feel like lower decks is a little bit of a different animal because it's, animated adult and that is short of sort of the shtick for those kinds of shows like quick-witted um and it's also only a half hour so they have to shove everything in i don't expect every episode of this season to be what it was which was extremely fast-paced almost happening in real time and having like 30 different storylines going on at the same time i think it was just the setup of the season i don't not enjoy it, but I can understand how people do. I mean, I like stuff that is that serialized. I like that big storytelling and it being the, which is what discovery is my dad who was watching, um, not a big fan of serialized stuff. Even when Mm. deep space nine went to semi serialized near the end of its run. And we went into the dominion war. Um, he, he was not really on board with it. And to be fair, like, you know, we, we couldn't consume it the same way we can now, which is basically whenever we want, cause it's on a streaming service. If right. we were out and missed an episode of deep space nine, 
and didn't press record or like have our VCR record it, like we were lost. So it's a, it's a different way of, of consuming everything, um, which I think reflects on the way that things are being made now. Uh, I don't expect it to be this, this quick. I, I enjoyed it. I like fast storytelling. I understand why people don't though. Yeah, I would think that, you know, comparing back to, let's say, uh, TOS or even TNG, I would think one of these storylines would have been the entire show, like getting the people from the one ship to the other or from the, the out of control space station, you know, and ma- building more drama in that. It's like they like you almost like, well, OK, they're going to make it right. Well, are they or aren't they? Let, let's really focus on the Kobayashi Maru part of it. Yet you have this this uh, the line with um, Saru. There's that storyline, and then you have the the other one with the, the planet being destroyed. It's just so much coming at you that it's like they all sort of become okay. Well, this is sort of normal now instead of any of them being a real physical impact on your you know soul or your psyche. It's like, well, and all of again, them should have been. All of them right. should have been. Each one of those, it, if the way that they told the story for Discovery was bottle episodes, which is what I grew up with. TNG was bottle episodes. The original series bottle episodes where it's a contained storyline. The characters develop through the entire series in each season, mm-hmm. but by and large, they're freestanding storylines. Um, Discovery is not told the same way. And absolutely this kind of storytelling, again, is a reflection on the way that we consume media now. Like we don't have to wait for it. We can watch it whenever we want. You don't miss it. It's on the streaming service. You can access it whenever you want. So I I think that each one of the storylines that was going on in this episode absolutely could have been a singular episode, singular bottle episode. That's not the way that they're telling stories now. That being said, Strange New Worlds is supposed to be bottle episodes. We'll see. I hope. I hope. And yeah, I I just wanted to say that with... With as much they packed into this episode, I don't mind it as much as long as they stay focused on these obviously three different stories. You know, you have the Burnham story, you have the Saru story, and you have the the book story. Yeah, I don't want a sloppy wrap up of of any of them. I don't want one of them to sort of fall by the wayside and then to be like, oh, we wrapped this up in a nice tidy bow very like quickly and sloppily. Like I'm not down. And I also don't want them to deviate from this because you know, in a, in a 10 episode format, you only have now nine hours ish to tell the rest of this story of which I don't want to see any of this divert into the mirror universe ever. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done with them. I think I said that right? last season too. I was like, can we be done? Uh, can we, I mean, I let's just... be honest, right? It's like, we have like, this looks like a setup for a great story. Don't rob this story time with doing something completely sidetracking it for whatever reason. Right. Everybody's, Stay on track. <laughs> you know, everybody's talking about Elarians and Lorians in the chat now. Elarians. Elarians. That's Elarians or Guinan's race. Sor- and Soren. Soren. Yeah. Yeah. Soren. Soren. Um, and, and then, yeah. Lorians. But it is kind of like they, they threw you basically, you know, feet first right into the deep end with this. I'm not, I wasn't expecting really anything different. I just want them to make sure that they thank you <laughs> and stay on target. You know, yeah, you're too close. But there's Stay there's stuff last year that I felt like sort of like the storyline fell by the wayside and like we didn't really get like a good wrap up of it. And one of those is like sort of continuing this season, the whole like grudge and them calling her a queen. And like it was used well in this episode because the species that they were visiting was like you were holding a monarch captive. And like that was clever. But yeah, I'm like. I really thought last season that something was going to happen and it would turn out that she was like a queen of some cat, like the Cajun species or something. <laughs> um, so awesome. I was like, at the end of the season, I was like, but what about the cat? Uh, like, I'm very disappointed. Because I have Paul Harvath here, I want to reference what Paul writes saying in chat. Why can't there be both? It doesn't have to be binary. You can have standalones and an arc. You can't if the writers are good enough. Yeah. Uh, uh, Deep Space Nine did that, you know, in the middle of the... Uh, of the Dominion War is one of my favorite episodes. They just play baseball. Great. It's a nice breather. So it, you, have to, you have to have a really tight writing crew to be able to move back and forth between the serialized format and the standalone format. It has to have a purpose. Like you said, Holly, uh, the characters will still develop underneath yeah. uh, the, in the undercurrent, 
but it still has to, you know, continue the storyline forward. Um, we're just about out of time here, Paul. So well, uh, if there's one last thing you yeah, want to get into. One here. real quick thing. I know that there's no age, age barrier to this. When Archer's music came on, Michelle and I both just almost just started in the tears. It was amazing. It's, it's the feels, man. It's oh, the feels. it was great. So the show still works and, you know, you guys will have something to talk about next week and look forward to hearing what you bring to the table. And it's always great to uh, be part of it. Thank you so much. All right. You and uh, Michelle, take care. Be safe. Oops, Happy Thanksgiving. Way? That way. That way. Bye, Tendi. All right. See you, my friend. <laughs> Tendi cut um, out. It's amazing how quickly uh, a show can go. Mission Log Live can go. You know, it's yeah. Uh, you got to the half hour mark and did the little commercial, and I was like, "Oh, we're already halfway in." Oh, okay. Yeah, we just blinked, and and here, here we are. Uh, we have a couple minutes left, Holly. So, uh, overall, though, um, a successful pilot or no premiere? Um, a premiere, yeah, premiere. Yeah, not my favorite. Mm-hmm. You think they did what they achieved to do, though? You think they set up the storyline strongly enough? I, I mean, that remains to be seen, right? I, the potential for them to have set up several storylines for the entire arc of this season was great. Unfortunately, the downfall is, is like we really felt bombarded by a lot of new information and everything's happening at the same time. Again, almost in real. The fact that it was almost in real time is really bizarre to me because um, right I don't feel 24. like that. I was always waiting to see like Jack, like, wait a second, wait a second. I got to go to the bathroom. Give me at least 30 seconds. You know, then I'll get back in my truck and chase someone down Van Nuys. When did he ever go to the bathroom? (laughs) Um, The potential for them to have set up a really great series season. Yeah. I think it's there. I just, (laughs) again, the storytelling, I was just like, we've done this before though. Well, I guess that they couldn't, they couldn't come up with more clever or new ways of telling the story like with the same story. I mean, because, you know, they start with like a vague story arc mm-hmm. and then start dropping in the details and why this and why that. And I, I mean, that's how I understand the writing to be. Um, One of the things that I've heard, you know, <laughs> you know from friends, that. you know, and, and from, um, you know, people that are started off as being strong supporters of discovery. Some of them have actually become a little exhausted with the, why does the galaxy have to end every season motif? You know, I, I, oh, I felt yeah. like, you know, that that's kind of like what they set up with, you know, Quajon being destroyed. Uh, there's this galactic mystery, the JJ the Abrams box that needs to be opened and see what the mystery surprise is. Uh, is this something that is going to exhaust the patience of the audience moving forward? I mean, I certainly hope not. But I can see that happening. I mean, to be fair, I also see people becoming exhausted just because there's so many Star Treks going on right now. I'm always afraid to burn out, not just for myself, but for the fandom in general. Like, I'm always terrified that people are just going to be like, there's too many, there's too many going on. I can't. The one thing that we forgot to mention is that when, you know, when Kobayashi Maru uh, came out, Prodigy episode five, came out at the same time terra firma on the same day the first okay. time two star trek series aired on the same day in what is it like 18 years or something uh, like um two episodes of the uh, short treks air but that i mean they don't really count um yeah. it hasn't been since deep space nine and voyager yeah so we're on the air at the same time so hopefully you know we're not overtaxing you know the uh, the the um, attention of the fans, but I think that obviously Prodigy, I think Prodigy and, and Discovery fans are two separate, you know, fan audiences. I think for the most part. I mean, I want to watch Prodigy. I watched the pilot, and I haven't watched any since because I'm <laughs> I'm focused on Discovery. Uh, I'm see, even I'm behind. I'm I'm even behind in my Star Trek viewing. I haven't seen the last two episodes of Prodigy. That's because I'd like watched all of Prodigy and I was almost behind on Discovery until I needed to cover this, but I also cover it from a different, for a different show. Yeah. Um, and that's it. That's John that's... Cooley says impossible. There's no such thing as too much Trek on that note. Well, like Kirk, something said, said something similar. It's like, you know, uh, Lieutenant, uh, too much of anything, even love is not necessarily a good thing. So I'm just going to throw my line reading out there that everyone don't hate me. Just 
see more of it on patreon.com slash mission log. Uh, that's our show, Holly. Uh, it was great having you back. I'm, I missed, uh, I missed uh, hosting the show with you. Um, yeah, me too. It was good to have you back, if only for a, a, every other week for a little while until Prodigy comes back. Yeah, we'll always have Tom Paris we'll on a plate. Right. <laughs> uh, you'll be back with John uh, next week when we cover episode two of Discovery. But until then, thank you, everyone, uh, for being fantastic in the chat. And just want to let you all know, as you already probably already do know, that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live, provided by the, I'm pretty sure John wrote this, indelicate Earl <laughs> Green, but he's anything but indelicate. He's quite delicate, actually. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from Roddenberry Podcasts. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you, everyone, uh, who joined us here and who will join us later. Um, for the fans of the United States that are celebrating Thanksgiving, please be safe. Please be careful. Enjoy yourselves and your families. And we look forward to talking with you all next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.